Welcome to the sixth edition of Behind the Helmet, where we're joined by NTT IndyCar Series driver Stingray Rob. I'm your host, David Hoffman, and I'm joined by the driver of the number 51 Honda for Dale Coin Racing with Rick Ware Racing, Stingray Rob. Stingray, it's been a long time and uh, glad to have you back. It is. It's good to hear uh, your voice again, David. And I mean, NTT IndyCar driver. That's exciting. I don't know what to think of that yet. <laughs> I was just about to ask. It's like, you're an IndyCar driver. Is that sunk in yet? It's, it hasn't, it really hasn't, you know, we had our first test at thermal and, uh, while we were there, we had the media days and, um, Joseph Newgarden was there and, uh, Simon Paginot was there. I mean, there's a bunch of guys that were there and they were coming up to me and saying like, Hey, singer, like, welcome to the series. We're glad to have you here. It's like, uh, do you know who you are? And you're coming up to me and saying, hello, this is crazy. So it is really cool. I, I think that, you know, until I get to St. Pete, I'm still going to be pinching myself, realizing like, okay, no, it's not a dream. This is real. This is actually happening. It's like, that's a, that's like a couple IndyCar champions right there. Just coming right up to you. (laughs) Yeah. It's pretty awesome. Uh, So it was officially announced that you're going to drive the 51 about a month ago. It was like the 17th, I believe 17th or 18th, but how did the deal initially come together? Cause I know it seemed like part-time was kind of where it was going to be, but then this kind of opened up. So, you know, what changed for it to be full-time? Yeah. I mean, going into the off season, we didn't know what we were going to be doing. You know, we, we left Laguna Seca without a plan of like, okay, this is the team that we're going with. We have a signed contract, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so we, we had options on the table for Indy lights again. Um, but we took a leap of faith and that was based off of just like the things that we knew to, to be variables that were out of our control. And, um, you know, with the new Firestone compound being introduced in Indy lights or now Indy next, um, it was a bit of a challenge for us to assume that Andretti would still be the best team. You know, I think that it levels the playing field anytime that you completely change a tire compound like that. Uh, all the data from the, the past seasons goes away. All the drivers have to relearn the driving style of the car. So who's to say that I would even finish as good as I did this last year, even without winning. Um, and then even if I did win, um, there's a risk of still not making it. I mean, look at Linus Lundqvist, for example. He won the championship, did really, really well, but he's still not on the grid for the 2023 IndyCar season. And it's because um, just things that were out of his control. I mean, he did his job and it wasn't enough to, to get him there. Um, so, I mean, we, we took all of that together and we said, okay, we're going to make a run at IndyCar. And at the time, there were a couple of teams on the table that we were in discussion with. Um, one of them in, in particular was a part-time ride, like you mentioned. And then the uh, the other one would have been a full-time, but have been a bit of a harder sell. And then um, at some point, I was at PitFit training and um, during the off-season, probably late October, early November. Um, I don't remember the exact date, but uh, Linus was also in there. And I assumed that, you know, with the HMD Dale Coin Racing uh, affiliation, that he would be a shoo-in into that extra seat, um, whether it was Takuma was retiring or going to another team or um, they were going to add a third car. So I assumed Dale Coin Racing was full. So we weren't really in discussion with them. You know, I talked with my manager and my mom and my dad. and uh, They weren't really an option on the table just because we assumed that they were full. Um, but during the workout with Linus, we were discussing, you know, okay, what are your plans for next season? And uh, he said, I don't, I don't know, man. Like, I don't know what I'm going to be doing. I'm like, Oh, you're not going to IndyCar. And he's like, well, we're working on it. But um, as of now, no, like that's, that's not on the table. And I think that was the moment where I realized I'm like, Oh shoot, we got to make a run at the seat because you know, the doors were closing fast. We could see the guys that were uh, getting signed on and uh, who was testing and whatnot. So 
um, I immediately ended that workout, got on the phone to my manager and was like, all right, Peter, um, this is what Linus told me. I think we need to give Dale Coyne a call. So he called him. And at that point, they'd already uh, been in discussion with Marcus Armstrong and then Daniel Frost for the test um, at Sebring at that point. So they'd used all their test days up. So they didn't really have an opportunity for me to get in the car and see what I was made of. Um, and so, I mean, we were still in discussion with them. And then we were uh, in discussion with one of the other teams that we were previously talking to. And then as the season went on, the off season went on, it was kind of like, it was slow, uh, slow processes. It seemed like everyone was kind of dragging their feet a little bit. I mean, during the holidays, that's kind of the name of the game. You don't really know what, what's going on behind the scenes. If they're going to run a second car or a third car, whatever else. Um, and so I think it was, uh, maybe the week before Christmas or the week after Christmas, something like that. I mean, around that time, around new year's, it was around new year's. And, um, we settled on a date for my test in IndyCar and, um, January 4th, I was at Sebring with Dale Coyne racing, had a really, really good day there. Um, it was super good, did really well, super happy with the team. And then I don't know where at in the conversation that happened, but at one point I got a call from a journalist and he was talking to me he goes, Hey, I've been hearing some good things. Rumors are going around that you're going to be on the grid next year. What can you tell me? And I said, I can't tell you much, but it is looking promising. Um, I'm excited about the opportunity, blah, blah, blah. Everyone hears the story. And then at the end of the conversation, he goes, yeah, I'm sure when they sober up from their World Cup win, they'll be giving you a call. And it was like the week of the World Cup. Well, everyone knows Argentina won the World Cup and Juncos, Hollinger, being from Argentina, he was implying that they were the team. Well, they were one of the teams that we were kind of talking to, but so was Dale Coyne. So um, I was like, yeah, maybe we'll see how it goes. And then I guess he hung up the phone with them or with me and immediately called Dale Coyne. It's Dale, uh, since Stingray is going to Hunkos, who's going to be your driver in the second car? And I think Dale freaked out a little bit. I shouldn't say freaked out. I think he was taken aback by it just because we were in discussion. We were talking as if we were going to, you know, make an effort at a contract with them. And uh, he's like, wait, what? What do you mean? So I, I guess he hung up with them and immediately called my manager. And my manager and him started talking. He's like, yeah, like we're, we're still talking, whatever. And I think it put a fire under all of our seats to, to get a move on just because we, we all saw the doors were closing um, quite rapidly. And then here we are now signed as a driver for the number 51 car. That's a pretty long story. And you know, the <laughs> fact that, I mean, who knows, like, obviously it probably was going to happen like with Dale Coyne, but the fact that it took, you know, someone calling somebody, calling somebody to like kind of get the fire rolling a little bit more. It's like, that's a pretty crazy story. And, I mean, hey, you're on the grid, so it's all that matters at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, for any driver, um, someone mentioned to me this this offseason, but you have to have a high tolerance for ambiguity as a racing driver or just in general in motorsports. Everyone has to be okay with that. So, uh, you know, like you said, it's a long story, but it felt like a much longer offseason. I mean, all that took short periods of time, but the rest of the time we're sitting around waiting for things to happen. So, a uh, little stressful, but it was good. I think God opened the doors where we needed him to. And I mean, there's things that happened just as they were supposed to. We didn't know that that was going to be the case. And they opened up when we needed them to. And here we are now. And you imagine this with the long process. This, what do you learn about yourself in those situations where, I mean, obviously God's in control of everything. But, you know, when you know you don't have that control and just just you know making sure that okay, like I can control this. But, you know, whatever happens is going to happen. It's going to be all right regardless. Yeah. Um, so I work with a life coach 
And one of the things that we were talking about at the end of last season was, you know, about race wins. Right. And I mean, his job is to like help me sort my thoughts out. It's not, not like a therapist, but just be like keeping me accountable to what I'm supposed to be doing. And I was like, man, I need a race win. I absolutely need a race win. And he's like, Stingray, you don't need anything. Like just trust God in the process and like trust that God's going to take care of it. And there was like a moment of realization of like, okay, I can do the work, but it's not up to me. And, um, that doesn't reduce your value as a, as a variable in the equation, right? Like that's, you're still an integral part of everything that's happening. Um, and you can influence things a lot, but there's some things that are just out of your control. Um, and then the next week I won my first race at Laguna Seca. I was like, Oh, there it is. Okay. <laughs> um, so I think it was just a further education of that this off season, right? Like I didn't know, I knew what the goal was and I knew that I could do certain things but I did not know how to get there. Um, and I love the verse it's, uh, in Proverbs and it goes something like it man plans his steps, but it's the Lord that establishes his, his way. Um, so it's like, we can make all the plans in the world that we want, but it's God that establishes what actually happens. Um, and so having faith in that process is a tough thing to do, especially, I mean, as a race car driver, I think that our mentality is to be in control, you know, like if something happens, I'm the first one to blame. I'm the first one that, that gets pointed at. And it's because it's true. Like we're the one behind the wheel. And so when things are out of our control, I think that we lose that, that comfort a little bit um, in that sense, because uh, there's, there's so many things in motorsports that are variables that change from day to day, minute to minute, second to second. So um, we like to be able to see all that and understand all that and then make adjustments accordingly but you know, that tolerance of ambiguity again, it's something that you have to deal with and learn how to deal with. So, um, yeah, I think that my faith played a big part during this offseason. not just not, I'm not saying the success. I mean, either way, I know where my identity stands. Um, and I think that we've talked about this before, you know, our identity is not set in the results. They're not set in our successes or our failures. They're set in something much bigger than that. Um, and as long as you keep that as your main focus, and operate in that way, I think that it, it can carry you into a better state of mind that allows you to perform at a high level. And it's cool because it's like, even in those moments where it's almost like, it's almost a test in a way of like, you know, like in the easy situations, it's, um, yeah, all right, oh yeah, this is easy. Oh, I, you know, I totally get that God. But then as soon as it's like one of these tests where he's like, all right, you know, um, I know it's not going to seem easy, but you're going to have to trust me. It's like that kind of battle within of like, am I going to just put it all in his hands? And when you do, it just seems like it always, like for anyone, when you do pour all of that, just confidence and just the, the, uh, just the trust in him, that's when it typically seems to work out in the, in his plan and what's best for you. Absolutely. I think it's again, back to the Proverbs, like God will give you the desires of your heart. But I think part of that is like lining up your desires, right? I think that God gives us passions and pursuits that we can pursue in a, a healthy way as, you know, kind of co-creators with him. Um, and it allows us to put faith in him because he's the ultimate goal, right? And so um, those passions and things, they're they're a byproduct, not the subject or the object of our, of our faith. Um, so it's cool to see like, you know, during the off season, I got to put in some work, even though it wasn't on the racetrack. <laughs> and obviously it worked out. Um, how did you celebrate? I mean, like that has to be like when the, uh, the pen hits the paper, ink goes through, I mean, what, you know, how do you celebrate? 
it's kind of funny. So on the day that I signed the contract, um, it was a bit of mixed emotions, honestly, because I didn't really know what to feel because I realized like, this is the realization of a dream that's been in, in line for so long, right? Like five-year-old me would be absolutely stoked with where I'm at right now. Um, but it's, it's the next stage of life, right? Like, uh, I think some kids get it when they graduate high school or college or whatever. It's like, okay, now I'm adulting. Well, I'm going through that now. I'm like, now I'm adulting. And it was kind of like a, a happy, sad thing. Like I'm so appreciative of like where I came from and the results that I got coming up through the ranks. Um, but I know that this is going to be a new stage. So it's like kind of scary and intimidating all at the same time. Um, so I, I didn't really feel like celebrating at the, at the beginning of it, but like it turned into like a week, two weeks of like, I'm an IndyCar driver. This is crazy. I'm an IndyCar driver. Um, and so I finally got to celebrate with my family at the thermal test. Uh, I got to go home. Actually, I didn't get to go home. I went to the test and felt like I got to go home, uh, being with them and just seeing them and like actually sitting in the car driving and being an IndyCar driver. <laughs> I'm sure one of the biggest things that comes to mind when you realize I'm an IndyCar driver is you know, you're going to run the Indy 500. Just when, <laughs> when someone says to you, hey, Stingray, you're going to run the Indy 500. Just what goes in, on in your head? Oh, man. You know, it's funny. The, they came out with like a lot of new videos leading up to the Indy 500. And with the 100 Days to Indy being announced, I think that I'm feeling a whole lot more appreciation for the Indy 500. Not just because I'm a driver in it, but because I'm realizing like what it takes to get there. And like the history of like the, the, the winners that do it consistently. And the, there's just so much that goes on in that. Like if you don't appreciate any 500, you cannot appreciate racing in my mind because it's such an amazing event. And hopefully, you know, like when orientation, all that goes down that, you know, it'll be an easy transition, but um, you mentioned with thermal, um, obviously that's not a track on the schedule. Usually it's like what the first test there you, that the series has ever had, just how would you describe that facility and just the track in general? Cause I know a lot of guys were saying just how different it was. Yeah. I mean, the facility was beautiful. A plus on the facility. Um, the surrounding area was amazing. I mean, you're in the middle of the desert, but there's snow capped mountains around you and palm trees. So it's like the most amazing view. Um, and the track itself was great. I mean, lots of um, very, very low speed corners and lots of high speed corners. So it was kind of cool to have both and get a feel out for the car. I think it was tough for a lot of teams to roll off the truck well because we didn't know what we were getting ourselves into. Um, so it, it was interesting. You know, as a, as a rookie, I think that learning the car and learning the track and learning the team all at the same time is a bit overwhelming. But it was really cool to have a, have a test there. And you and uh, teammate David Malukas, I think you turned the most laps over, over the two days of testing. Just what was that biggest challenge for you? Obviously, you know, getting comfortable and, you know, where did you see those improvements over the two days? Yeah, day one, um, I think it was just getting settled in the car. I mean, really, like, where's the line on the track? Where am I supposed to be braking at? Because I'm building a baseline on both ends of the spectrum. I mean, I'm learning the racetrack and I'm learning the car. And so, like, both of those combined just, was a bad combo. <laughs> so, um, once I did that, I mean, day two was so much better. And then we were able to sort the car out a little bit more. Um, and then obviously David's a good driver. So having his data to compare and see like what he was struggling with, with the car. And then I could try this, he could try that. And we could kind of direct the car, um, in a way that we both wanted it to be. It was super helpful. And so I think, I mean, by the end of day two, the timesheets were not representative of what we were capable of doing. I mean, I had several, theoretical lap times and of course i sound like a typical race car driver here like if i just finished the lap but if we just finished one of the laps we would have been 
P13, P14. And I, I would have been pretty happy with that. I mean, top top half of the field on your second day in the series is pretty good. You can only go up from there. And obviously you'll have so many sessions over you know the next couple months here. But this being a part of, I saw a stat, it was like you're a part of the youngest team with David Malukas at Dale Coin Racing. Just how do you feel having a guy like him that you've raced against that, you know, same age, you know, just being at the same team, you know, how will that help you guys just throughout the season? It's really good. I mean, for a lot of rookies, I think they look for experienced drivers to be in the series. You know, there's a lot to be said about, you know, having thousands and thousands of time or hours in the car to compare data with and just that knowledge base, um, which David and I don't have the luxury of, but Dale Coyne does. And so the team itself, I think that we're going to lean on them a lot. I'm going to lean on David a lot because um, his recent transition was the same as what I'm doing. I mean, he finished second in the lights in 2021 and then went to IndyCar last year and almost got rookie of the year. And I don't see why that's out of the, out of the window now for me to do the same. Um, and so like a lot of things that he struggled with, I think that I can go into the series and say, okay, I'm going to, I know where these weaknesses are as a rookie and I can work on them sooner than maybe he was able to just because he didn't know what to look for in the beginning. So, um, you know, I think having us both be young, well, I mean, we're the youngest teammate combo, I think, ever in IndyCar history, which is pretty cool. So I think it just kind of shows you the generation of drivers that we're going into as well. I think that there's a lot of young talent coming through, not to say that the old guys still aren't doing good. Um, but I mean, there's, there's guys that have been in the series about as long as I've been alive. So I think it's cool to see, you know, the, the depth of drivers in the series is still growing. We're not losing that talent level. And also, I mean, um, David and I coming with a similar background, you know, we grew up go-karting together. Uh, we went through the road to India a little bit together and then Indy lights was so recent for us. Indy next now, like I said, um, I mean, we, we both have an understanding of the car. I think that's similar and it allows us to drive, um, the tendencies of the car that we liked in the same direction, like I said. Um, so instead of, you know, fighting each other on, I want an oversteery car or I want an understeery car. We can both say, okay, this is what I like. Um, this changed to this, this changed to this. And it allows us to, you know, instead of doing five changes individually, I can do three and he can do two or I can do two and he can do three. And so it's just more efficient. Um, the team can operate in a better, better way just because we're able to, to work together rather than separate. You mentioned some of the older guys heading into St. Pete here in what, less than two weeks now. Who do you think is going to be the most like exciting person to go up against? I mean, obviously, you know, watching the sport for so long, who do you feel is like oh, that man. guy? They're like, oh my gosh, I get to race, you know, blank. Yeah. Scott Dixon's definitely on the list. Joseph Newgarden. Scott, I mean, all the Penske guys, all the Ganassi guys. Um, let's, I mean, Graham, I mean, all those guys, everyone, everyone in the field is talented. So it's like, there's not one that I would say like, oh, no, I don't really care about racing with them. Like, no, I, I'm super excited to be racing all of them. Um, I'm going to go back to thermal Max Pappas and I talked while, while we were there and uh, he gave me some good advice that he said that he wished he would have gotten as a rookie driver coming into IndyCar. And it was that every driver that's at this level has speed in them. And as a rookie, you have to wait for it to come out. I mean, picture, and he, he was talking to me, he said, picture yourself five years, 10 years from now, how much better and more, uh, experience of a driver you're going to be than you are right now. That's who you're fighting against. And I was like, huh, that's an interesting concept. Like to beat those guys at that level, you have to be 
special. <laughs> so don't think that on day one, you're going to come in here and set the world on fire because that means the rest of the field is underperforming. And he's like, that's not the case. These guys are not underperforming. They are legit drivers and the field is deep. So set realistic goals at the beginning. He said, finish every lap of every race because that's going to give you more confidence and more experience than it would um, lighting the world on fire for the first 10 laps of the race and then crashing out. You know, that's going to take your confidence away and it's going to take your experience away. So make sure you're working on both of those just by being consistent, not crashing the car, not making mistakes. Um, and then everything else will just come to you as you develop. And like you said, yeah, it's like as you're going down the list and you're, you know, rattling off a couple different guys, it's like, oh, wait, yeah, this field is like mega stacked when you look at it. And, you know, that's going to be cool. I mean, Elio Castroneves and so many people that it's like, wow, you know, that's going to be such a you know cool experience at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, so going into St. Pete, uh, what are the emotions like heading in? Obviously, you know, you've raced there a couple times before, but not in an IndyCar. I'm very excited. Like, I think that this is the most excited I've been for a first race ever. I mean, because it is IndyCar, because it's like the realization of a dream, but also like the competition level is so high that I feel like that drive in me being inspired to be even higher. Um, and so it's kind of cool to see, like, we're all raising each other's game. Um, I think a little bit, they're raising my game. I don't know if I'm doing the same for them, but um, I just want to get going. I want to see what it's all about. I want to, you know, chip the rust off maybe and learn a thing or two and make a couple mistakes here or there. But um, that's part of the fun. I'm just really, really excited to get going. Just keeping the fun at the, at the forefront of like, Hey, I'm an IndyCar driver, regardless, like I'm going to have some fun. We're going to maybe a couple bumps along the way, but you know, it's the improvement. That's, you know, all that matters. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't think I'm afraid to make mistakes. Um, I mean, I, I want to do the best that I can. Absolutely. But I think that, like you said, it's going to be fun. Um, and I think that part of the fun is making those mistakes and learning a thing or two along the way, getting kicked in the face and getting back, back up and trying it again. <laughs> it's going to be fun, but you know, we got two weeks to go. Uh, switching topics a little bit. Obviously, we've done our random question generator here. I actually thought of a couple questions over what how long it's been since we last did this. So are awesome. you ready for an interesting I am ready. Questions? All right. So I don't know if I don't think I've asked this before, but what is the best racing movie of all time, in your opinion? uh ford versus ferrari or thank senna. you oh yeah senna documentary is very good as well ford versus ferrari i yeah i mean i can easily watch that back over and over again oh, when yeah. that came out it's like you feel so excited and you're like i, I want to hop into that ford gt <laughs> that's one of the coolest cars ever it is when it was so accurate too you know a lot of racing movies i think it, what was it some 90s early 2000s it was like driven i think was the name of it with sylvester stallone I terrible. watched that and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is what people think when they hear IndyCar. Um, but no, Ford vs. Ferrari, I think, was really well done. And it was, actually, I have a little bit of a backstory to it, too. Um, growing up around Corvettes and stuff, obviously, with my parents naming me Stingray, um, Dick Goldstrand was a driver for Penske in like the, that era in the, in the Corvette. And he used to tell us stories of like being at Le Mans and like having his headlight knocked out and like there was a crash. And so, like, he would just follow the car in front of him or whatever else. It's like some of the stories that he talked about is what we saw in the movie. We're like, whoa, this is actually what happened. So that was pretty cool to see. Oh my God. Yeah. You mentioned, yeah, with it being so realistic and it's like, you felt that adrenaline rush as you're watching it. And then I, it helps you appreciate Ken Miles and what he was able to do. Oh yeah. For, you know, until he passed away, unfortunately, but 
And yeah, you mentioned Driven as well. I watched that the other week when I was sick and I was like, all right, what's, the, I know people give they give us a lot of hate, but now I'm like, I mean, what's, what, the amount of flips they showed, you mentioned Max Pappas, <laughs> would he have a flip too or something? It's like the weirdest, crappiest movie ever. Yeah, yeah. So Ford versus Ferrari, that's my yeah. top pick. Yeah, I'll take that any day. Um, if you could only own one car for the rest of the life, for the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh, that's tough. <laughs> I don't know. I think practical. Probably go like an off-road vehicle. Um, I'll be driving a Honda Passport around this year, so I'm excited about that. So I don't know. I don't. I don't know what I would pick. I think you might want to go Honda just to be just to be safe. Be safe. I yeah. Agree. <laughs> I mean, I'd say probably. I mean, the four GTs like were so cool. Oh, um, I mean, even the new ones that they made a couple years ago. That was, I mean, or the Toyota Supras, any, yeah. you know, I'm a, I'm a sucker for old cars. So I, I want to get on that bandwagon too. I mean, any, any sort of vintage, anything, I mean, muscle car, sports car, European influence, uh, off-roader. I mean, I, I think that we've talked about this at some point, but I used to have a Toyota FJ Cruiser and it was like a 1973 FJ 40. And so, um, Yeah. Yeah, I like the cool old cars. <laughs> I just remembered the Shelby Cobras when those were a thing. Like just oh, yeah. the huge tires that they had on. And gosh, that those stuff is cool. They just um, sounded good too. So mm-hmm. good. All right, let's see. All right, here's the final question here. What's your most awkward slash embarrassing moment you ever had in school? In school. Well, I was homeschooled until seventh grade, so oh, I right. got through the yeah. tough years. Um but in high school, middle school, I can't think of anything super bad. I don't know. People probably would make fun of me if I said that. But, um, man, I don't know. I, I think that there was one day that I showed up late for school and I, like, forgot all of my stuff. And it was, like, a big test day. And I know I bombed the test. And that was, like, the most embarrassing thing ever. They're like, I didn't even have a pencil. I was like, I can't even get a pencil right now. Um <laughs> so i don't know i hope they gave you a pencil <laughs> yeah Gosh. i did I, I i found uh one of those little stubby ones that people had just thrown away i was like this will work i need it for one test i'll, I'll run with it <laughs> doesn't have the eraser on it just <laughs> yeah or, you know, it's kind of chipped off who knows yeah man i gotta say it was like senior year of high school or something we were doing like the four by eight hundred relay and, oh yeah oh uh, 800 for <laughs> for like a for a relay is so long um but like i i was like gonna set up i'd like set up this guy for the final corner and i was like the third leg or something and i was a little bit cocky in the moment i was and like as i'm passing this dude in turn four i'm like <laughs> i like basically kind of say see you later type of thing <laughs> say that to him I'm, you know i'm like speeding by him and then all of a sudden you know i think god does a little bit of sense of humor with this but he's like because all of a sudden i start feeling a little bit jelly in my legs out of nowhere, oh, no. just out of random. So then, about twenty feet from the finish line, I start tripping up just a little bit. No, and I was able to hand off the baton just in time. But then, my dad had to basically get all of it on <laughs> in pictures. So he got. Oh, there it goes. Dude. Oh, there it is. Oh no, you haven't fallen over <laughs> all the way down. <laughs> oh, so, did you do the tuck and roll too? Yeah, tuck and roll. Yeah, it worked oh, out. Oh man. But that's yeah, funny. 
as bottom or what's the moral of the story just be humble at the end of the day yeah yeah there you go that's all the time we have today look for the next episode of behind the helmet here soon uh obviously stingray you'll be in saint pete first official indycar race so it should be fun uh we appreciate you guys for tuning in you can follow this podcast on twitter and instagram at behind catch and stingray where can we follow you at Stingray Rob on all social medias. I think my Twitter is at Sting underscore Ray underscore Rob, just to change it up. Um, and then StingrayRob.com is my website. And then to follow the series, we're on NBC or the NBC uh, sportscasting app, Peacock TV. And then make sure that you catch the race March 5th at St. Petersburg. How many times have you been told this to try and plug it and make sure to get it? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I've been practicing in the mirror. Uh, every once in a while to make sure that I can get it. <laughs> hey, it worked. Where's the merchandise, by the way? Is it still on like a random boat or where, where is that? Merchandise is on the way. We just had the final design uh, by the IndyCar team. So I think that they're releasing it hopefully pretty soon. I like it a lot. It's very uh, patriotic. Um, I like it a lot. So hopefully you'll be able to find it at the races soon. And then obviously at the, the Indy IMS Museum, they'll have something there as well. So, and then Hopefully after St. Pete, I'll have some of my own where we can do some custom designs and have some fun stuff in the loop. It's going to be exciting. You know, maybe next time we'll be rocking a uh, Stingray Rob shirt of some sort. Yeah, I like it. There you go. Well, thank you guys for tuning in. And uh, we appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, Make sure to come back next time. See you guys.